Welcome to the DL. I am your host, Tyler Robertson, the CEO and founder of Diesel Laptops. Now, if you know me, you know Diesel Laptops, we live in the aftermarket world. This is our place. This is the reason our company exists, is to help provide tools, solutions, services, repair information, training, outside of what the OEMs do in, in their world. And there's a lot of questions we always get about right to repair. There was the heavy duty memorandum of understanding that was signed several years ago. Where are things at? If you listen to the news back in July, President Biden signed an executive order directing the FTC and the Department of Ag to start taking some action on some things. We saw President Biden in January talking again about right to repair. So it's pretty cool when our industry and our space is making it all the way up to the president of the United States. And I brought two gentlemen on here today to help us kind of unpack all this and explain it more and what's going on and what needs to be done. So I'm really excited to have him here. So I'm gonna introduce two people. First, let's talk to Paul. So Paul, can you kind of explain, you know, what your role in this is and, and what you do? Well, sure. We're one of the, uh, the associations here supporting this right to repair uh, activity. And uh, I'm president of AASA, which is the Automotive Aftermarket Suppliers Association. So we represent all the folks who make the, the parts, the tools, diagnostics, chemicals, the technologies that keep vehicles running safely and affordably uh, across the life cycle. And we're a proud part of MEMA, which has been representing vehicle suppliers and manufacturers uh, since 1904. And that's everything from commercial vehicle to light vehicle and, and OE to aftermarket. And, um, and yeah, we're a very proud supporter of Right to Repair and, uh, and this effort. Well, the other gentleman we have on here is Bill. So Bill, if you could, again, kind of explain to everyone here a little bit on, on you and your organization and what role you're playing in this. Sure, first of all, uh, thank you so much for allowing uh, Paul and I this opportunity to, to speak to your audience about really what is their future. And, um, you know, uh, so I represent uh, the Auto Care Association. I am a lifelong uh, auto care, aftercare, heavy duty uh, participant. My entire career has been, been spent in the industry, defending the industry. Uh, the Auto Care Association represents the entire vertical uh, supply chain. So we represent um, part manufacturers, distributors, retailers, um, and folks all the way down to the local truck repair shop uh, on the corner of Elm and Main. So the entire uh, vertical supply chain. Uh, we, we uh, in conjunction with another association called CARE, um, initially passed Right to Repair in 2012 uh, by signing that MOU that you uh, had referenced um, that has been in existence, as I said, since 2012. Uh, back in Massachusetts in, in 2021, where we, uh, we uh, passed uh, Right to Repair 2 uh, by 75% uh, margin, uh, the voters approved that bill. And um, we're currently uh, in court as a result of the automakers taking us to court uh, to defend that bill. So uh, very much uh, entrenched in right to repair and ensuring that uh, the, commercial, uh, the, the commercial trucking industry and, and the heavy duty side are represented uh, to have that data available to them for repair. So yeah. I, I want to unpack that just a little bit. So I, I know this thing happened in the last last fall up in Massachusetts, and I actually saw some of the videos that were anti-right to repair. And it was really appalling. I, I was shocked. It was like a stalker outside a house or outside a person's car. 
and they're implying that, man, if you guys pass right to repair, people are going to break into your cars, they're going to mug you, they can, you know, it, all these bad things are going to happen in your life. And Massachusetts still passed it overwhelmingly. What was that bill specifically about? What was different about that one than the previous right to repair bills that have gone through uh, Massachusetts? The previous MOU for, for right to repair that was, that was agreed upon in 2012 um, with the automakers and on the commercial side, it, uh, it guaranteed the same access to data through the OBD2 port. Uh, as is available uh, uh, at the uh, vehicle dealerships. What's different and what has evolved since 2012 and 2013 is that now uh, the vehicles, um, both automobiles and, and uh, class eight trucks uh, and off highway vehicles uh, are transmitting data wirelessly to the manufacturers. Oh, and, and it allows them to actually bypass this OBD2 port in terms of being able to um, acquire diagnostic and maintenance data from that particular port. So in actuality, the, uh, the, the truck makers and the automakers uh, may be able to completely circumvent uh, the availability of that data by not making it available uh, through the OBD2 port we needed to go back and say we need to have access to this data whether it's through the obd2 port or whether it's through that wireless connection but we need to be able to have access to that data at the point of the vehicle and not rely upon logging into into an oem server so that we can gain access to this data because then the man the original equipment manufacturer would be able to dictate what data they make available to the aftermarket. And we don't ever want to be beholden to that. If I can build on that, because it's, it's very well said, Bill, is when we talk about right to repair, I mean, you talked about those crazy commercials, which really had nothing to do with what the industry is, is trying, seeking to do. And it's worth going back to what are the principles here? What is right to repair? And it's very simple. And it's just a goal of preserving customer choice and market competition on where and with what parts your vehicles, your trucks are repaired. And that's very simple. It's very principles-based. It's what has served our industry well for over a century. And it's just the basic idea of let's keep free markets, let's keep competition. Um, and these are principles that underpin, you know, not just our whole repair industry, uh, but also just kind of the American system. And the reality is, and we've seen it in other sectors, that technology gives people the ability to get monopoly power, to just control and say, you know, I'm not gonna give you that information. Um, if you put this part on it, we'll only make that part work if it has a line of code that works with, um, you know, that I got to approve it. And um, that tells me that you bought this part from me, not whether this part works or not, not whether it's safe or not, but just whether you bought it from me. So it's really just trying to keep that market competition. And I would throw out, you know, you talked about those commercials, which were pretty offensive. Egregious. But, yes. And, you know, let's, let's be realistic. It's in everybody's interest that all of those trucks, you know, whether you're a fleet, whether you're an owner operator, that you're able to keep it repaired. 
that we can keep it on the road, we can keep it operating. That should be the the truck maker's interest, that should be the parts maker's interest, that should be everybody's interest. And we really shouldn't have a fight about this. We know we gotta keep the uptime, we gotta keep these things running. And, uh, and let's make that easy and simple and sort of come together around that. I would also throw out, in reality, we've been dealing with safety systems and emission systems and regulated systems um, collaboratively and with safety for years. We've been dealing as an industry up and down the chain with security systems um, for years. So I also wanna stress that at least our industries groups that are pushing for right to repair, that we are dedicated to safety, we are dedicated to security and cybersecurity. These are cornerstones of the effort and, uh, and what certainly our two organizations and we think the industry is aiming for here. And that's the values of our members too, the folks who provide those parts uh, that your listeners trust. So, Paul, I'd like to unpack a little bit more when you talk about industries. So when, when people say the words right yeah. to repair, I mean, obviously, you guys, I mean, if people in the video portion, there's an automotive vehicle behind you in your screenshot, right? And we're talking heavy truck. Um, we, we have the Auto Care Association, not the Heavy Truck Associate Care Association. So there, there's, there's automotive, there's heavy truck. And right to repair, when you Google it, a lot of what comes up is two other things. John Deere, they're, they're in the spotlight all the time for this whole thing. And then you have like the, the, the digital tools, the, the mobile devices, the phones, Apple, Microsoft, those types of guys. So is this, is this like a lot of different battles being fought on different fronts or is there combined forces here? Or, or how are all these things being worked together? Or are they all just completely separate bills and laws that are trying to get, get pushed through the Capitol? Number one, there are, um, you know, it, it, as you can see from President Biden and, and the, the, um, the acts that are coming through the, the Federal Trade Commission, there's a lot of attention being focused on quote unquote right to repair, particularly in the agricultural community, the heavy duty community, the automotive community, the, the, the cell phone community. And um, each particular um, segment has their own nuances. Uh, we wanted to ensure that uh, we were very focused on not only automotive, but heavy duty as well, when we sponsored the Repair Act um, that, that uh, was sponsored by Congressman Rush. So um, the, the noise and the, the attention that's been paid to, to right to repair is growing. Um, we are speaking with those other organizations in terms of the agricultural community, the cell phone repair community. But again, we wanted to be really singularly focused on number one, the ability to access repair and maintenance data from the vehicle at the point of the vehicle itself. Uh, in many other cases, there are other things that got involved in terms of personal data and so on and so forth. We wanted to keep it very simple and very singular so that we had a very good message, which is why we have, um, as I mentioned, the Repair Act. So um, it, it's great recognition. The consumers are very aware of this going forward. And uh, that's the momentum that we're building uh, in Congress in terms of, uh, of the bill that we sponsored. So Paul, anything to add uh, from your point of view? Well, I think that was a great summary. And just adding a little bit of color to what Bill said about the Repair Act. So we heard from the president addressing this, even more importantly, that Federal Trade Commission bipartisanly, unanimously passing it and saying, there is an issue, there is uh, repair restrictions, and the 
risk of more going forward, and that's not good for competition. So in follow-up to that, we did have this Repair Act, this federal bill that Bill talked about that was introduced. Um, and I think it is, it's a good bill. It's, it is very principles-based, just how do we get that competition um, and, uh, and how do we make sure that, you know, you can get, get your vehicle repaired and your truck repaired how you want it repaired. And I will say that Repair Act does include the heavy-duty sector. Yes. It's not just light duty. And that is how the government often addresses these regulations. They have the term motor vehicles, which includes both the truck and, uh, and the car side of the, the business. And they often look at it that way and want to have that set of rules. Now, the issues are certainly different that we've seen um, on both sides of the industry. But I think the long-term risks, there's certainly some overlap. And in any situation, it's never good when one person can decide how a market works. Uh, you generally just want to have competition. You want to have choice. And I think it is important that heavy duty is included in this bill. The other thing I throw about out, uh, out about the bill is it's also designed so we have a mechanism to problem solve together as an industry together. And by an industry, I mean everybody from the independent aftermarket all the way through the truck makers, uh, through the dealers, through the fleets. And uh, it's structured in such a way that hey, if somebody believes we're falling short of this goal of reasonable market competition, here's a mechanism where we can get together and the industry can talk about this, try to problem solve this. And if we can't, that the Federal Trade Commission can uh, ultimately sort of decide and say, well, here's what is good um, for customers and, and good, for, um, good for competition. And I think that's very important because Nobody wants to be in these fights with legislation and uh, us as we want to go to our business and, uh, and do the business of keeping these trucks running. We don't want to spend our time trying to talk to Congress people and things of that sort. So we, we think that's another really great part of the bill that we think everybody along the chain should get behind. So you, you brought up a good point. We want to keep the trucks running. I think if COVID showed us anything, yes. we, we need freight to keep moving from the ports all the way to the store shelves so people can keep buying and getting the things they need. And I need to look no further than what happened in the last six months where certain manufacturers had to get EPA approval to do basically a factory approved, EPA approved emission delete because they couldn't supply the parts. And by the way, those parts had... IP associated with them, preventing other companies from making those parts. And they, they really kind of shot themselves in the foot here. So it, as a consumer and someone that's on this side of it, the, the part I'm struggling to understand is why are manufacturers so against this? Is this just a pure dollar profit thing? They're trying to hoard their, you know, not hoard, but they're trying to protect their territory. Is it IP they're afraid they're going to lose? What's their big their big reason for being against us because it surely can't be the stalker that's going to go break into my house because we have a right to repair act on automobiles like what what is this uh, what i'd like to do is just go back to so specifically for the heavy duty industry right so the flow of goods relies on trucks repaired uh, and maintained by the trucking companies the independence right they need access to truck data uh, to regularly perform safety inspection repairs and maintenance uh, and, and if there's any delays in those repairs or maintenance, uh, that's going to restrict the flow of goods uh, in the U.S. The, you know, the truck makers and, and the dealerships specifically uh, and, and the automakers and the auto dealerships really are, are trying to create this cradle to grave relationship with their consumer. 
They want to sell the truck. They want to maintain the truck. They want the truck to be traded back in. They want it to be a, con a contiguous cycle. What they don't take into account for is, is that the fact the aftermarket service providers, the independent truck um, you know, repair facilities, they provide a tremendous service to the industry by being able to provide those repairs, um, most often at a lesser price, uh, using in many cases, the same type of products and parts that came off the vehicle and putting them back on the vehicle. And let's be realistic with one another. There is no way that the, that the, that the um, original equipment service facilities would be able to keep up with the maintenance if the independent um, channel was cut out of the situation. They would not. And, 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 the, and the independent truckers and the fleets would not be able to survive. The cost of goods would grow exponentially if everybody was forced to the dealerships and good luck trying to get that repair scheduled six months out. And not only that, but from a convenience standpoint, having to tow your truck, not to an independent repair facility if it's broken down, but to the near nearest dealership that may be 250 miles away. So it, just the logic of trying to keep the aftermarket out of this uh, out of the equation it, it just befuddles me and in, in the entire industry so you know creating that monopoly with with the truck owner uh and the fleet it, it, it just is not going to happen and it's not realistic for them to to imagine that i think that's well said bill and very passionately said let's be honest there's a reason that the aftermarket exists Mm -hmm. And it points to why this, in the end, should be win-win. You know, there's capacity issues. There's, um, you know, third owners, which frankly just aren't of that much interest, typically, to, uh, to an OE. And, um, and there's a reason that the, the independent aftermarket serves segments of the market so well. And uh, so fundamentally, right to repair should be win-win. And, um, and we really shouldn't be fighting about this. There's a reason the aftermarket exists. Let it serve um, customers well. I'd also throw out, you mentioned about IP and, uh, and things of that sort. And I do wanna make clear because my members develop an awful lot of that IP, that intellectual property and the trade secrets and everything else. Right to repair and intellectual property protection are not mutually exclusive. And our members who develop most of that IP feel that very strongly. We believe very much in intellectual property and protecting that and protecting those rights. That's not the same issue. You can do that and you can still have right to repair. You can still have the ability uh, to service our, our vehicles and service our trucks how we want them serviced. Well, that, that's all very well said. I 100% agree with you guys. I came out of the dealership world. That's why I worked for 10 years. And as a service manager, I loved having two or three works, weeks of work in my in my shop and in my yard. The customers hated it, right? And right. and even me, I'm an aftermarket company, and a lot of the reason the business we do have is because OEMs are hard to work with. They're hard to get access to diagnostic tools, hard to get access to repair information. They're expensive. Um, I know the heavy duty memorandum act was signed. You know, it was a great step. And I know it builds onto the next step, but it left a lot of vagueness out there. And one of the one of the problems we ran across was 
well, it covered engine software, but OEMs still weren't selling us the cab software. Or it had to be at a reasonable price. And Cummins, they're like, hey, reasonable price is a thousand bucks a year. That's reasonable. They have a big population. Hino, small population. Their reasonable price was $2,400 a year. So it, it was it was hard, but I think it was a great first step in that, in that direction. Has there been more movement specifically in the HD industry since that was signed? Or how do you guys feel things have progressed since that HD MOU was signed? Which it, I, I got to think it's probably been seven or eight years now. I'm not even sure exactly when it was, but it, it's been a minute. There, there's been significant progress on that. And, and you know, the original Right to Repair Act in Massachusetts excluded um, uh, commercial vehicles sign the MOU. This uh, um, uh, right to repair act that was passed by the voters in uh, the fall of 2021 did include commercial vehicles. So, so we we brought in uh, the commercial vehicle community. Uh, we asked um, what how um, their particular needs would make sense within this particular act. Uh, we included it, uh, even though the voters did not necessarily understand or, or um, uh, really how including commercial vehicle in this act would affect them. But they responded overwhelmingly by including a commercial vehicle in the Right to Repair Act that was passed in the fall of 21. So um, with that being said, the, the, the commercial vehicle community uh, has been more active in terms of their advocacy work. Uh, we are providing opportunities for, for the uh, heavy duty commercial vehicle community to become more involved in advocacy. And, and I think that it, uh, it, it's very important for the listeners to understand that this is not necessarily on the shoulders of Bill Hanvey or Paul McCarthy or the Auto Care Association or HDMA or um, HDDA. It is the responsibility of the people in this community to get involved. Um, we need your voice. We need you to sign petitions. We need you to become active. We need you to create a relationship with your uh, Congress people so that when we are working on legislation such as this, they understand the implications on your business. And, and that's what's critical is, is please become involved in this fight because um, Paul and I were talking before our discussion today, um, both the automakers and the truck makers have a death by a thousand cuts philosophy. So can we shut you out of using coded uh, parts? Can we shut you out using data? Can we shut you out using technology? And we continually as an industry have to be at the forefront in terms of fighting these um, um, means to shut us off from either data or the ability to, prepare, or to pro, uh, provide uh, quality repairs at, at a, at a um, significantly lower price. Get involved. That's the message for, for, uh, on my end. How do people get involved? And if you can add anything to that, I'd love to, love to hear. You know, on our website, we do have we do have uh, an opportunity for those um, that are interested to be able to do that. Um, you know, AutoCare.org advocacy uh, backslash advocacy. There is a section there for um, for the commercial vehicle um, uh, community to be able to sign up 
and write a note to their legislature, uh, legislators, so that that's important for them to understand. Um, and, and we can send you some information uh, as to where to go for that, but all they have to do is fill out their name um, and, and let, the, the, um, let their Congress people know uh, that they're interested and then we send that letter to their respective congressperson that that that, that tells them that that you are interested in in right to repair for heavy duty or, or the commercial side. Yeah, and I'll, I I think that's well said, Bill. And we have the same thing on our website. We got a um, our website, and and what I would say is is it's so easy these days to make your voice be heard. Um, where it, it populates, you know, it tells you who your representative, what uh, makes that message very easy to do. And again, the best way to convince people is to have them visit you. So um, have them visit your facility or your company. They always like to see voters. And, uh, and I will say it's an election year. So a lot of Congress people will be spending an awful lot of time back home. And so they're there. Uh, and these days, everybody's gotten used to the Zoom meetings. And uh, so we've had a lot of great Zoom legislative meetings with legislators. So it's it's ever more important and it's ever easier to have your voice be heard. And it is your voice and uh, an individual's voices and companies' voices that make a difference and get things done. And just going, adding a little bit of color on, on the heavy duty side, you know, it's an interesting situation where a lot of the repair info is, is generally available, but there's clearly you know specific codes that may not be available, um, and you know a large fleet can use their leverage and make sure that they're getting the information they need from the customer. But frankly, an individual owner operator should have the same access as a large fleet, and it shouldn't be how much leverage you have, and it shouldn't be a matter of whether uh, a single individual company wants to give it to me. And that's why we're pushing on this basis to have a legal framework that we can count on, that people can build a business model on, and uh, just set the rules of the road so that everybody can compete. And you know what happens when you get that market competition? Everybody gets better. The truck makers will do a better job. The independents will do a better job. And uh, in the end, it'll be the fleets, it'll be the truck operators who get better service. And, uh, and we can keep those vehicles on the road more affordably and you know, surf America, keep all that freight moving. So that's all we're really trying to do. And, and we do think technology, if we sleep on this, there's gonna be a lot of problems down the road. And, uh, and so let's set the rules of the road, let's pe let people compete and let's have a, a great business for decades to come. Well, I want to thank both of you gentlemen for coming on the show. We're definitely going to take those those notes, put them in the show notes, links to go to those pages for advocacy. Definitely needs to be done. And what you guys are doing is very, very important to everybody, I think, right? People that own cars, people that run trucks. In, in any way that you do anything, I guarantee you a commercial truck's part of your life, whether you realize it or not. And mm -hmm. I know you guys are making progress because I, I have not seen presidents talking about right to repair previously. So it tells me the momentum shifting, things are going that way, voters are responding, and you're absolutely right. Politicians, they they listen to what people are telling them, right? I mean, they have lobbyists, but they got voters. And they need, the more voters that are talking about things, the more important it becomes to them. So if you think your voice doesn't matter, it does, and your vote matters. 
you really got to get out there. Like you said, it's an election year. People want to get out there and meet people and talk people and hit the right notes when they're having conversations and, and speeches. So thank you both for coming on the show. It's been a great episode. I hope everyone learned a lot. I can tell you Diesel Laptops is obviously pro aftermarket, pro right to repair. There's no doubt about it. That's where we live and breathe. Thank you, everyone, for watching and listening. Remember, it's not just diagnostics. It's diagnostics done right. And yeah, we do need right to repair. We need access to information, to tools, to knowledge in order to repair things properly, safely, and efficiently. So thank you very much for watching and listening. Like, comment, subscribe, share. We appreciate it. We'll catch you on the next episode.